This is day three together of our look through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this chapter that talks about how do you live a great life. In order to live a great life, you need to be a part of a great church. And what does it mean to be a great church? Paul is answering the question, showing us that any church can be a great church based on three things. First, you have to have grace. You have to see yourself for who God has made you to be, relying on his gifts, his resources in life. There's a second quality of a great church he talks about in verses 10 to 15. The second quality is unity. He says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is Paul's appeal for unity. This appeal caused one of the people on our research team to write, this phrase made me this week repent about a quarrel that I had with my sister and make things right with her. And it's my prayer that that might happen through our study today, that this just won't be a study about the Corinthians who lived a couple thousand years ago. It's really about your life. Who is it that you're struggling with? And how can these words from God's word remind you of the power of unity? If I think it's not important, then I'll let the argument go on and on and on. But when I realize that unity is one of the keys to a great life, to a great church, then I'll make the sacrifice. Then I'll have the humility to make the relationship right. Now, Paul is writing to the Corinthians not because they were great at this one. They were struggling with this as a church. It's one of the first reasons that he began to write to them. So in verses 11 to 16, here's what Paul says. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Now, before we talk about unity, that's of great encouragement to many people that Paul says, I don't remember all that happened. He was an apostle greatly used of God, but if your memory slips sometimes, so did Paul's. In these verses, he is being inspired by the Spirit to challenge them concerning unity. If you want to have a great life, if you want to be a great church, you have to realize the power of our unity. You want to destroy the effectiveness of a church, of a group of Christians. You turn the church of God into the church just down the street, just a building on the corner, by losing your unity. If you have unity, you burn the building, they'll just build a new one. You take away some of the most important members, God will just give new servants. You persecute a church with unity, that'll only fan the flames of growth but you put disunity into a church, the greatest of buildings will be empty. The most effective of servants will wither. The smallest irritation will tear the church apart, tear the small group apart. And this Corinthian church, it had been divided. And maybe, just maybe a look at their divisions will help us to understand how this could happen. Paul goes through the list. He says, some of you say I'm of Paul, some of Apollo, some of, some of Cephas, some of Christ. There are really four different divisions there. The Paul party, the Apollos party, the Peter party, Cephas is Greek for Peter, and the Christ party. And knowing something of the Corinthians and knowing something of the history of that day, you can make a pretty good guess at which of these parties, which, which emphasis was in each of these parties. 
The Paul party emphasized freedom, liberalism. They emphasized our freedom in Christ. We can do whatever we want because now we know Jesus. And they took that, we're gonna see later in the book of Corinthians, some at least took that to the extent we can sin however we want because we believe in Jesus. They made of a true teaching a false teaching by taking it way too far. This was the Paul party. They emphasized freedom and liberalism. Then you have the Apollos party. They emphasized intellectualism. Apollos, who had this center in Alexandria, he was a strong teacher, and because he was a strong teacher, people loved those thoughts. So it's likely that they emphasized thoughts and intellectualism and how smart we are. In fact, we're smarter than other believers. There the divisions come in. Then you have the Peter party, Cephas being Greek for Peter. They emphasized legalism. Peter, who grew up as a Jew and was part of the leadership of the Jerusalem church and sometimes had struggles with legalism. They emphasized the keeping of the Old Testament law in order to be closer to God. And then you have the Christ party. Now, this isn't talking about this is the only right one. The idea here is that they'd even made of the name of Jesus something that divided them. They emphasized, they emphasized exclusivism. They were upper-class Christians. They were better than everybody else. They were more spiritual than everybody else. Sometimes you call it being super spiritual. These are the divisions that were in this church. They had turned the church of God into a group of isms. And it wasn't the fault of these leaders. It wasn't Paul's fault or Apollos' fault or Peter's fault. They're all good leaders, but the Corinthians have made, uh, had made of the fact that they were different an excuse, an excuse for divisions rather than an opportunity for growth. It's always a lot easier to argue about our differences than to let God challenge us to change. And when you're resistant to change, when God's challenging a change in your life and you don't wanna make that change, one of the first things you do is attack somebody else. This happens in families, husbands and wives. Your, your wife, your husband says something that you know they're right, you don't really wanna hear it, what do you do? Oftentimes you attack back. You say, well, what about this? And you bring it up. It also often happens in churches. It happens in businesses too, by the way. In churches, somebody says, we really ought to be more serious about doing this. And everyone in the church knows that the church needs to make that sacrifice in order to reach out with missions, in order to reach out into the community, in order to better serve that church and grow in Christ. But there are some who selfishly want to hold on to something that made them feel self-important, maybe a position, maybe a place they sat in the church, maybe the size of the church. And in selfishly wanting to hold on, they begin to fight back with these isms. It's always a lot easier to argue about our differences than to listen to God's challenge for us to change. And that's where they end up, this group of isms that began to rule the church rather than Jesus being their focus. Disunity and ineffectiveness are inevitable when that happens. So how do you confront it? When this begins to happen in your life, in somebody else's life, how do you confront it? How do you undivide divisions? Well, Paul asks three questions which point us to how you and I can constantly realize and challenge and live out a spirit of unity. He asks, has Christ been divided? He asks, Paul was not crucified for you, was he? And he asks, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Those three questions. And those questions are a reminder of where our unity comes from. First, he says, has Christ been divided? Our unity grows out of the oneness of God. Just as God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus prayed this in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Just as God is one, he wants us to be one. The very oneness of God is the foundation for our unity. And so Paul is saying, 
Jesus isn't divided into parts. God's not divided into parts. So if you, his body, have been divided into parts, into isms, you have to realize something is wrong. It doesn't match who Jesus is. Secondly, Paul says, Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? Unity grows out of the cross of Christ. If you want to go from a place of disunity to unity, I don't know of any better way than to sense that you're standing together at the foot of the cross. It's often been said, and I agree, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. No one's higher, no one's lower. We all stand equally in need of the love of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, the blood that he shed for us. When in my own heart I'm feeling disunity with somebody else, I remind myself of the cross of Jesus. And if in a relationship with someone else and you have a time of disunity, you just can't seem to bring it back together, if you can come together to the cross, not forcing someone there, but coming together there, choosing together to be there, realize that's where your salvation is. That is a tremendously powerful source of unity. In the Trinity, we find unity. In the cross, we find unity. We also find unity. Paul says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? We also find unity in the name, in the name of Jesus. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, it was in the name of Jesus. So we don't follow different human leaders. Oh, this teacher might help you over here, and this teacher might help you over here, and this is your pastor, and you're following that pastor. But the truth of the matter is, that's just a person, a human being, that God is using their gifts to help you to follow Jesus Christ. That's the goal of the church. We're all unified in his name. I'll never forget being in Washington, D.C. years ago when a million men went together with promise keepers. And Max Lucado was preaching, and he asked everyone to shout out the name of their church all at the same time, a million people from hundreds of thousands of churches. And everybody shouted out their names, and it was just this loud, confusing noise. And then he said, now would you say a different name, the one name that unifies all of us? Would you say together with me that one name, Jesus? And everyone with great power, a million voices lifted up and said together in unity the name Jesus. Jesus is Lord. That's what unifies us. The name of Jesus, the cross of Christ, the Trinity of God. You go back to those central foundations. That's where you're unified in Christ. So if you're having struggle being unified with someone, yeah, there may be an issue that needs to be resolved. No doubt about it. But the resolution doesn't usually begin with the issue. The resolution begins at the cross, in the Trinity, in the name of Jesus. Then you deal with the issue. That's true in your marriage, in a marriage of believers. That's true in your family. That's true in your church. That's true in our lives. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray, pray for myself, for each of us, when we struggle with disunity, that instead of going to ourselves, trying to make it right on our own, we come to you first, because you're the source. The closer we get to you, Lord Jesus, the closer we get to one another. We come to the cross together. We come to the love of God that we have together. We come to the name of Jesus together. I pray specifically for someone who's struggling with a disunity right now. It may have been there for a long time. And Lord, I pray you'd help them to do all that they can do to be unified. And once they've done that, to be at peace. To be at peace in your name, Jesus. I pray this, grateful for the unity that you bring us through the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Tomorrow, Paul's going to focus on a third mark of every great church. Hey.